New California case law, new California statutes, that's what I discuss in this podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Ganchi. I'm a trial lawyer at Casey Gary in San Diego, and I focus my practice on TBI, brain injury cases, and trials. I'm also a total nerd about tracking new laws, as this emerging and developing info can win and lose cases. Please enjoy my podcast, The Ganchi Law Update, a Casey Gary podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm going to start this one with a quick case clip and then I'll get into some more substantial case law updates. So here's the question. Can you personally serve the summons and complaint if you are a party to the lawsuit? And the legal answer is nope, not in California. California Code of Civil Procedure section 414.10 entitled Persons Permitted to Serve expressly provides who may serve the moving pleadings to a case, saying a summons may be served by a person who is at least 18 years of age and not a party to the action. In this Court of Appeal, 2nd District case titled Bra v. Dow, cited right now as 2023 WL4312617, and that case site will be in our show notes. In that case, plaintiff was a party and personally served the defendant and she argued she substantially complied with the CCP reserving the complaint and summons and the court disagreed. If an employee contracts COVID-19 at the workplace and brings the virus home to a spouse, can the spouse take action against the employer? That was one question within this July 2023 California Supreme Court case decision, Kusiamba versus Victory Woodworks Incorporated, cited right now as 2023 WL4360826. Again, that will be in the show notes. And for super clarity, I'll pose the question, the questions the California Supreme Court addresses verbatim. They are issue number one. If an employee contracts COVID-19 at the workplace and brings the virus home to a spouse, does the California Workers' Compensation Act, WCA, Labor Code, Section 33200, at SEC, bar the spouse's negligence claim against the employer? And issue number two, does an employer owe a duty of care under California law to prevent the spread of COVID-19 to employees' household members? To issue number one, does the California Workers' Compensation Act bar the spouse's negligence claim against the employer? The court says no. Exclusivity provisions of the WCA, the Workers' Compensation Act, do not bar a non-employee's recovery for injuries that are not legally dependent upon an injury suffered by the employee. However, to issue number two, whether the employer owes the duty of care to prevent the spread of COVID-19 to employee, employees, household member, members, the answer is also no. The court says, although it is fee- foreseeable that employers' negligence in permitting workplace spread of COVID-19 will cause members of employees' households to contract the disease, recognizing a duty of care to non-employees in this context would impose an intolerable burden on employers and society in contravention of public policy. These and other 
policy considerations lead us to conclude that employers do not owe a tort-based duty to non-employees to prevent the spread of COVID-19. How can primary assumption of the risk apply when there are multiple defendants with one defendant acting intentionally to hurt plaintiff? Let me step back. In California, we have types of primary assumption of the risk, or we have types of assumption of the risk, primary and secondary. I'll, see, I'll deal with secondary assumption of the risk first, which is when defendant still owes a duty of care, but plaintiff knowingly encounters the risks attendant on defendant's breach of duty. Now, focusing on primary assumption of the risk, the California Court of Appeal recently decided the case Nigel B. versus Burbank Unified School District, right now cited as 2023 WL4308622, on this issue, and specifically with the issue of when you have multiple defendants and one defendant acted intentionally to hurt plaintiff. So let's start off with what happened in this case, Nigel B. Plaintiff here was an eighth grader at John Muir Middle School, which I'll just call the school. The assault happens in the PE teacher's mandatory eighth grade advanced physical education class where students could not opt out of a particular sport. The plaintiff's participation in the physical education class was not voluntary on his part, but rather was required by the middle school's curriculum. How did this PE teacher um, <laughs> supervise, I use that loosely, how did this PE teacher supervise his class? Per this case, his supervision of the class was passive. <laughs> he frequently used his cell phone during class to text, make calls and access Facebook. And pretty much anytime we played any sport, the PE teacher was off on the side in the shade on his phone. That was some testimony from the case from one of the students. Next, let me introduce the bully, who, who the intentional actor, who's about 40 pounds heavier than plaintiff and about nine inches taller. And the plaintiff weighed in at about 70 pounds. The bully here would pick on plaintiff in many ways, both verbal and physical, but it wasn't just bully that did this to plaintiff, it was other students too, as students in the PE teacher's class routinely engaged in roughhousing and often direct pushing, hitting, slapping, and the like at plaintiff. So what happened at the actual subject incident? All the students are playing mandatory football, uh, touch football. On the play at issue, plaintiff caught the pass and the bully ran into him at full speed, causing plaintiff to fly several feet in the air and land on his left side. Plaintiff, who had suffered a tear in his anterior cruciate ligament, screamed in pain as he held his left knee. The bully laughed in response, called the plaintiff a baby, and claimed that plaintiff was faking it. Plaintiff filed suit against the school, the PE teacher, and the bully, and the bully's parents. So diving into the legal stuff, the case goes to trial. At the end of the trial, the parties submit a special verdict form. And because the parties had submitted conflicting special verdict forms, the trial court drafted its own proposed special verdict form. On the verdict form were these questions. Did the district 
failed to carry out a mandatory duty? The jury answered yes. Was the PE teacher negligent? The jury answered <laughs> yes. Not shocking. Was the negligence or failure to carry out the mandatory duty a substantial factor in causing harm to plaintiff? The jury answered yes. Then on to the question at issue. Question four. Question number four asked the jury, did the bully act towards plaintiff on April 17, 2018 in the touch football game in a manner that was negligent or intentional? The form then instructed the jury that it should only proceed to apportion fault between the bully and defendants if it concluded that the bully acted negligently. The jury answered the bully intentionally injured plaintiff which meant the jury then did not apportion any fault between the school and the bully. And this is the part the school takes issue with. Okay, so a quick step back. What is primary assumption of the risk per California law? Here is the general law. Although persons generally owe a duty of care not to cause an unreasonable risk of harm to others, some activities, and specifically many sports, are inherently dangerous. Imposing a duty to mitigate those inherent dangers could alter the nature of the activity or inhibit vigorous participation. The primary assumption of risk doctrine, a rule of limited duty, developed to avoid such a chilling effect. Where the doctrine applies to a recreational activity, operators, instructors, and participants in the activity owe other participants only the duty not to act as to increase the risk of injury over that inherent in the activity. What have the courts in California held about this, especially in school settings? Courts have applied the primary assumption of risk doctrine to a range of school activities, including extracurricular programs, such as mandatory weightlifting sessions for members of college swim team, of a college swim team, after school wrestling programs, and cheerleading practice and also elective classes, such as another case when the plaintiff enrolled in advanced football class. So again, when can the primary assumption of the risk doctrine apply? And the court here says this, primary assumption of risk is a defense that relieves a defendant of, of any duty to the plaintiff when the plaintiff is injured due to a risk that is inherent in the activity in which the plaintiff chose to participate. Primary assumption of the risk occurs where a plaintiff voluntarily participates in a sporting event or activity involving certain inherent risks. So here, what did the court decide? The first question, does primary assumption of the risk apply here when plaintiff's participation was mandatory? The court says no, saying this, we decline to extend the application of the doctrine to a sports activity that is, as here, part of a mandatory physical education class. However, to the special verdict form which instructed the jury that it should only proceed to apportion fault between the bully and defendants, the school, if it concluded that the bully had acted negligently, the court held the trial court should have drafted the verdict form to allow for allegation of fault to the bully and not just the school, even if the jury found the bully acted intentionally rather than negligently. The court's exact words are this. We agree with defendants that the jury should have directed to apportion fault to the bully, even if it concluded, 
as it ultimately did, that the bully acted intentionally rather than negligently. This court directs the trial court to hold a retrial limited to apportionment of fault between the PE teacher and the bully and the non-economic damages found by the jury on the negligence claim against the teacher. And that concludes this episode of the Ganchi Law Update. Thanks for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Please visit cglaw.com for further blogs, case updates, and news about our firm. That's cglaw, as in caseygarylaw.com.